Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by us, the Fried Egg. I would uh, venture over to the print shop. If you go to proshop.thefriedegg.com, you can visit our shop full of prints and other merchandise. But we have uh, f- photography, our photography that's featured on Instagram and Twitter is for sale there. So we have uh, dozens of courses available in both paper, just paper prints if you want to get your own frame. We have frame paper prints, and then we also have metal prints. So check that out at proshop.thefriedegg.com. Uh, it's a great way to brighten up your office and support us. Today's episode is with Corn Ferry Tour player Vince India. Uh, Vince is from the Chicagoland area. He was one of the early podcast episodes of the fried egg, maybe the first six or seven. Uh, At at that point, I don't recommend going back and listening. It was uh, very poor audio quality. And Vince called in from what sounded like a hurricane in Miami before a Latin American event that, that week. Uh, but this one we uh, we recorded in person and uh, should be good audio quality. We talk about kind of his progression through professional golf, his improvement on the Corn Ferry Tour, and much more. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg, fried egg, the dreaded fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg, fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Hey, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. How how much better, or is it better to be at Southern Plantation in second stage of Q school or <laughs> taking somebody else's private jet and going to play uh, Crystal Downs? Well, to be fair, I played for more money at Crystal Downs yesterday than I ever have at Southern Hills Plantation. <laughs> so if you look at it from a financials perspective, <laughs> Crystal Downs all the way. Um, but, uh, I think you have a little bit more on the line, a little bit more to play for at Southern Hills. And I think the long-term benefits of playing Southern Hills plantation are, uh, are, uh, are a lot more than playing crystal downs. Well, you made it through every stage of Q school six years in a row, seven, six. I think it was six. It's like a record. I truly, so. yeah. I try to remember, um, each year by year and I, I, I get confused because they all kind of blend together and I feel like I spent half of my adult life at Southern Hills Plantation for like the entire month of November. Every, every November for like seven straight years I was at Southern Hills Plantation for at least two weeks at a time hanging out with this cool host family that I got set up with in 2013 and we're, uh, we're still really good friends there today. So, Did you pass that on to anybody who's staying with the host family? It's Mm-mm. just your host family. Yeah, it is mine. It is, <laughs> yeah, it's my territory. No one, no one else gets to sleep in the Vince India suite <laughs> on top of Preserve Drive. Um, do you miss, is there anything about Q School you miss <laughs> outside of your host family? Yeah, the neuroticism of other players, like watching other people do stuff at Q School, like completely blow it out of proportion. And obviously it's a, it's a big time thing and a huge deal for a lot of people. But you know, the more, the like, the more you build it up, the more it's probably going to adversely affect you. If you know what I mean? Like 
I try to I try to treat it like uh, almost of a lesser event. I went in there with a pretty open mind, and luckily I had um, some nice families I stayed with, and they kept the mood very light. And I luckily didn't have to think about golf a whole lot when I went back to the house. And uh, and I think that certainly helped along the way. But um, yeah, watching people do their drills and like hit shots from every imaginable place on par fives and it's just not the way to go to prepare for a tournament. Yeah, just, the more you care, almost the worse it goes with golf. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, or you just have to mentally psych yourself out, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, a hundred percent. There's got to be like a personality thing with, um, with you, in a, in a way, it's like a qualifier, right? You don't mm-hmm. need to win; mm-hmm. you just need to get. And when there's when there's a target, it becomes harder. Yeah, there's like this arbitrary cut line, which you don't know where it's going to be at the end of the day. There's no leaderboards out there, which is even more confusing. So you kind of have to play your way through the round guessing like, oh, well, you know, it's windy today. The greens are a little bit firmer. Oh, the pins are tucked. So is it going to continue to lower by two strokes every round or is I'm out, am I okay shooting one under today? Uh, it's, pre- it's, it's pretty goofy. And then the worst part about the place is, is that rounds are a guaranteed six hours. Because people are just on edge, marking two footers. Like every stroke, obviously counts a little bit more on the final day. So it's just kind of a it's a march out there, and you're going to be out there for half the day. It seems like, and then you're just physically and emotionally exhausted when it's all done. I had this um, qualifier one time. It was at Kemper Lakes, and it was like breezy, firm, fast, and the, they had the rough up. And I'll never forget it because I got I was. Um, I was playing like well for me. And this is an AM qualifier for everybody listening. It's not like a, you know, it's like the CDG AM. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like four over. And I, I thought I was like, I, nothing had gone great. Like I'd made mistakes, but I didn't think I was playing bad. Mm-hmm. And the yo-yos in my group and the yo-yos know who they are. Or were number guy like they were oh this is this is going to be the number four is going to be the number four is going to be the number so on eighteen I you know is like this hole that wraps around and I'm I'm four over and I'm in the like the right half of the fairway hundred and seventy out maybe just in the rough and I think I have to like hit it at the at the flag mm-hmm. some at the green when I could have just like I could have just sent it over the green mm-hmm. and just chip back up. You know, so I hit in the water. I make a triple. <laughs> and I was like fuming. I left the place. I was so mad. And then 79 got in, <laughs> which I shot. <laughs> so I got in on the number. But like I thought to myself, it's so dumb. Numbers are so stupid to ever think about mm-hmm. when you're in that kind of setting. Because like, it's like, hey, like if I'm playing well, that's going to take care of everything. Yeah. The more you think about the number, the closer you are going to be at the end of the day to that number it seems like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> like well i can i can make a couple bogeys coming in and i'll be okay and all of a sudden you make one or two you're like oh god <laughs> i gotta buckle down and actually like get back to the present all of a sudden do you think that happens with the cut too uh in q school or just no in general in, events in general events yeah i think so um and it's weird because i there's i live the majority of my first couple of years on web.com on the cut line, <laughs> like literally not even sniffing top 25s or top 10s. So um, I know what that's all about. And I don't want to say I've like grown immune to thinking about the cut, but it's like so far in the back of my mind, like um, 
you kind of have to just grow out of it because you're going to be there. And then, uh, for no reason it, it you shouldn't be nervous though, but you are because you know, it's two more days on the line or, you know, go into final stage. And, um, it's just very hard at some moments to separate yourself from thinking about stuff in the future. And it's, and I think it's a learned task and something you can definitely get better at, um, throughout your career. Yeah, I imagine that's like the hard. It's because that's when you you always get in trouble is when you start thinking ahead. Yeah, as soon as you as soon as you get ahead of like your next step, like sometimes I just like to bring myself back to you know feeling my footsteps in front of me, looking around, you know, hearing the, the tree, like the wind blow through the trees, like you know if there's any nature out there, see what's going on with nature, um, just to get myself out of a, any potential tailspin I have going on because. Uh, you know, there was a there was definitely a little bit of a time where uh, I wasn't very good at managing um, uh, my, my my mind and my emotions and staying in the present. So I've learned some uh, techniques to just bring myself back to staying in the moment. And uh, it's uh, one of my mantras is like sometimes you just got to put one foot in front of the other, and I'll be damned if that doesn't work every now and then. I. I imagine some of it too is like, I think I, I recognize this just watching stuff. It seems like players are really good at, at their level. And then when they go up, there's struggles. And then after time they get better at that level and then they go up and it's like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Is it, is there something, is it like the old mantra of like being a big fish in a small pond? Is that kind of what it is? And you go to a pond and it's a bigger pond and it takes a while to get like in that. And it's like relearning stuff that you learned. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's kind of like, that was like an existential thought I had going on in the last couple of events of the year where I certainly needed a victory to get my PGA tour card. And I was playing really well in the regular season finale in Omaha, um, had the lead through two rounds and, it's just something you think about, like, my game is nice right now. I'm playing arguably the best golf of my career. You know, could I win this event? Absolutely. Am I ready for the PGA Tour? Gosh, I think so. But, like, man, I'm just going to be a, like a small fish in an enormous pond. I'm going to be a nobody again. Like, <laughs> the thought of that is, like, kind of terrifying, <laughs> in all honesty. Like, you know, I could use one more year around the web or the Corn Ferry Tour now. Um after I hopefully put on 10 pounds in the off season, I think I'll be ready to go. And as long as I see, I keep making gains on my golf swing and everything else. But, um, yeah, just little things like that. Like, um, unknown territory is pretty frightening to golfers. And, uh, the key to that is usually managing expectations. Cause there's no difference between your game before you got on the PJ tour. And then when you are there right now in the fall series, like, just the settings a little bit different. The atmosphere is obviously different. Maybe expectations are there and, uh, you kind of have to just dumb it down a little bit and just remember you're playing golf and you got to get that ball in the hole as quickly as possible. And that's it. It's like that. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was Phil that said you either have to be like incredibly smart or oh, incredibly stupid. Yes. <laughs> There's a hundred percent of spectrum. <laughs> and I always thought that, uh, I needed to lean toward like the smarter end of the spectrum when I first got out here, like, you know, have my own way of doing things like over prep, overthink everything. Like I gotta, I gotta be like a true professional in all sense of the world. And, uh, uh, I've learned to go the other way. I've literally dumbed myself down into playing better golf and it works. Like, you know, 
first off, I accepted the fact that I'm probably not good enough to differentiate between 67 and 68 yards. So I operate in numbers of five. <laughs> like I'm going to hit it to, you know, I know what my 65 yard swings looks like. I hit, I bring it up to like, you know, just blow my rib cage and then the 70s up to, you know, your sternum and 85s up near the clavicle. So I can upper, I can operate in fives, but <laughs> I'm not sure I can really differentiate between a yard or even two or three for that matter. But I can hit those five yard gaps and 15 feet for me is pretty good. Is that the, I caddy for Luke Donald when I right before he turned pro, hmm. and at one time he, I walked off a yardage. This it might have been before Rangefinder. I think it was because it was like two thousand three or two thousand two. I was in. I said one fifty two. It was the fifth. I think it was the fifteenth hole at Conway, and he's like one fifty two. Are you sure? And I, I was like, yeah. And he, he hit a shot, and I, we got up to the green. And he's like, it was one fifty four. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> hey, but he was like, you know, top five player in approach, which is interesting. Yeah, you know? yeah, good for him. I mean, he's clearly talented enough, and just the amount of a narcissist you need to be to play successful golf. So that's I mean, <laughs> that's the, really something, though. That's the, the the elite skills. Like they have, like there are certain players with elite skills. I bet you've seen it. You've seen it on Corn Ferry Web I always call it Web. I, I wanted to say the Web there. Me too. But, but uh, it's hard to switch. Yeah, I, I still haven't really figured it out. It doesn't roll off the tongue very well. <laughs> people get mad at me that I can't figure it out. Yeah, I get people get mad at me, and I'm on the pack. Like, yeah. how am I doing? <laughs> You're not being a good ambassador for Corn Ferry. I apologize, Alex. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you know, like, do you see? Is it are there different skills that thrive on the Corn Ferry Tour than than what you than on the like PGA Tour? Do you think they're like the courses are a big deal? Yeah, I think there's a big difference in between the golf course setup and the difficulty of the golf courses and what the golf courses require of you. Um, in your skill set and uh, you know to give the to give the corn ferry uh, staff credit uh, they do as much as they can with what's presented to them the week of with weather and you know conditions of the golf course they set it up very well each week but sometimes like they're just not dealt a very good card with some of the courses we go to like you know we've been going to We've been going to Wichita for 30 years. I mean, the Air the, Capital, the, best trophy in golf. Oh, yeah. The Beechcraft Air Capital Classic, right? Like, come on. That the trophy outweighs everything else. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, if you're going to win a trophy, I want it to be a giant <laughs> propeller. Yeah. But that golf course was really hard back then, day when you're playing with persimmon woods and the driver was 300 cc's and the ball was spinning off the planet and it's always blowing 25 miles an hour there. Like, I imagine single digits one at some point. I mean, it's getting up to 15, 16, 17, and, you know, you're just hitting driver over dog legs and over ponds that you're not supposed to anymore. Um, and uh, so, like, we've kind of outgrown the golf courses we play on, and besides that, we go to places where it's super hot all the time, and we can't get golf courses very firm. And uh, it's advantageous to actually hit it shorter out there, where... Really? Yeah. I mean, the, for me, I've always found it difficult. Is it because like the holes are a certain yardage where 30 yards versus 80 doesn't make a huge Yeah, difference. there's a lot of holes where I'll find myself, you, you just hit to a spot. You know, there's nowhere you can hit a driver or a three-wood, so it's, you know, three iron here and other guys are hitting driver. But um, sometimes the conditions of the greens present uh, – 
itself that you need to take a lot of spinoff shots off your iron shots. So, you know, guys who come in super shallow and maybe don't have um, high swing speeds, they can control the spin of and their trajectories of their irons and their wedges much better than I can. I've never been good at that. And that's, you know, something I've always been uh, trying to work on and get better because I know I need to, uh, I know I need those skills to succeed at the higher level. But man, um, if, uh, if you're a sweeper, you can, you can definitely get by on the that's tour. Me. I know. I, I think you'd do okay. You might be able to make a cut or two out there if you get <laughs> hot with the putter. Like, I don't know. Most of my followers think I'm a 30 handicap. So, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, I, that's just my opinion. Like, I don't think it requires um, a lot of course management to some of the places we go to. Um, I've always thought, what's like... It, what's interesting is, like, the one USGA event I played, my takeaway was, like, I need to hit it higher. Oh, yeah. I need to, like, I need to be able to hit it left to right on command because I need to be able to stop it faster. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially the opposite. Yeah, where like you need to if take you, more if you're club. Me who never spins stuff back. It's like ideal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, usually the, I guess sometimes the key to playing a golf out on the Corn Ferry Tour is you need to take less club, choke down, take off all the spin so it doesn't rip back fifteen feet. Yeah, and uh, you know some guys just can do that naturally just by you know they not swinging hard and it's my paradise. I know it truly is. So. It's not my cup of tea. I'm trying to get better at it. I'm, I'm still, maybe a little bit farther than I thought I'd be from really good wedge play. But right pins are like off limits right now for me. <laughs> I'm qu- I'm pretty far underneath the ball, but I can get to a left pin like no one else. <laughs> you, you and Pat Reed. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> in in the six years on Corn Ferry Tour, where where do you think you've made the most leaps and bounds? Like obviously you're like you said before, you're you're going from you know, hoping to make the cut to now where you, this last year, especially you, you contended the last two years, really, mm-hmm. you contended to win a lot of tournaments. I just think, uh, over the years, like I've matured physically and I emotionally, um, in the last couple more so than I have in my first half a decade out there. Um, and I've, I've, I've said this to a few people, it just takes a little bit of time for you to undo the nonsense that's been going on in your body for a decade or even through college like i was never like a of a well-built young man i'm still not a well-built young man i'm like 157 pounds and you know not i don't have a whole lot going on but i'm a lot stronger than um than where i was when i first came out here and uh you know i I look back at myself when i first got my card i'm like this puny little guy didn't stand a chance like there's no way like you know, he's, he's, he can't support the golf club. His hips don't move. They don't have the mobility. You know, he's, he's just clearly not strong enough to be able to succeed on, on the, on the corn ferry tour, or even the PGA tour. Is it the biggest thing strength does create consistency? Yeah, for me, like, absolutely. That's kind of like my goal with strength training. Like, uh, it creates stability in my golf swing. And, um, that's kind of something that I've, I've pinpointed, uh, especially, as the weeks start rolling into each other, like, um, I'll be, I'll, I'll need to be stronger through those stretches and especially toward the weekend where you do get fatigued and then, you know, you lose your legs every now and then. And if I lose my legs, I mean, I don't really have legs to begin with that I'm done. Like I'll get so underneath it, the ball is going right. And then it's just a matter of if I could flip it at the last minute. I think that's what people never understand is like when your legs go, you're done. You're totally done. 
Yeah. If you, I mean, I kind of realized this once I started going down to Ponte Vedra and started to practice at TPC and, uh, and just hung around with some people who had some really successful careers and just observed and um, just took some mental notes and everyone has enormous legs. Like Jim Furyk's legs are like, are freaking stumps. It's unbelievable. Like, oh, well, that makes sense. You've won 80 million on tour. And that makes a lot of sense. And um, VJ's a big dude. Um, even like, even little guys I'm impressed with, like Justin Thomas's calves are like the size of my thighs. I'm like, huh, well, there's probably something to that. And I, I, uh, that's my little theory. You know, that's Ogilvy has a theory that it's like soft chest, big waist. Oh, is longevity. No kidding. That's that's his theory. What but, do you mean, like a saw, like a supple chest, like bendy, or no, like like doughy? Oh, doughy. <laughs> I can do that. I can do dough. Doughy, doughy chest, like kind of soft, like big waist. Yeah. Like, and then you start to think about like if you, it, the way he described it to me was like if you took silhouettes of players, mm-hmm. the the players with the most longevity would all have a very similar silhouette. Mm-hmm. Like he's like Hogan, Phil, uh, VJ, yeah, all the guys. Furyk would fall into that bucket too. Yeah, but big leg. All of them have big legs. Big legs. Real stable base is, I think, the key. And I never realized that until about a couple years ago. I'm like, well, what am I missing? Like, oh, well, I have no ass, I have no legs, and I'm trying to swing in 120 mile an hour at 140 pounds. <laughs> that doesn't seem like the balls are going to go very straight, very consistently. <laughs> it's a, what What are you doing to try and, like, you know, I, I, I think about, like, the best year I ever had playing golf was the year, the winter before I played, I didn't play any golf, I didn't hit balls at all but i played basketball like three or four days a week Mm -hmm. and that and i think about it as like i was most explosive i've ever been with my legs yeah that'll do it for sure what i've been doing lately is uh i've uh i've actually been very proactive in trying to gain weight so i've started a creatine supplement which all that does is saturate your muscles with water so there's like an instant you know mass gaining effect and then on top of that um trying to eat an enormous amount of calories per day. You, know, I'm, I'm, I'm you t- and Bryson. Yeah, you could t- get an or game. Yeah, don't yeah. I mean, maybe one day I might get there, right? He's probably got 50 or 60 on me, but um, I've been taking a mass gainer, um, and that's, I think it's it's near 1,200 calories per serving, but I don't, I don't, I use three scoops instead of four. Like, that just seems like a lot to me, 1,200. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be out on the couch for three hours if I ate an entire shake like that. But, um, that's number two. And then number three is, um, I've been getting back in the gym in the last, in the last month or two since we ended our season and, uh, doing heavy lifting, like deadlifting, box jumps, Bulgarians, some serious lifting. And, you know, my joints are kind of hurting at the moment, but it'll, it'll be worth it. Hopefully there's nothing worse than when you lift legs and, and like you're not in the habit of lifting legs, and then like you can't do like simple daily like it hurts to sit in a chair. You can't even walk upstairs. Like <laughs> the idea of going anywhere is painful. <laughs> Getting out of bed is a really difficult task. Then it gets better though. It does. It, yeah, your yeah your muscles adapt. Then you start figuring it out. And do you guys have gyms on site like tour? No, 
We what don't do you, have anything. Do you, is it is that like a weekly challenge? Like, do you try and do that? Do you like daily? Like, what's that like? Um, so my philosophy about going about physical activity on the road is anything I do on the road is for maintenance purposes. Like there's, I don't have the time and I don't think you can, you can actively get stronger on the road, especially with, um, you know, all the practice we're doing. It's, I don't think, I mean, some guys probably can, but the way my body's built, most of the stuff I like to address is for mobility purposes and like decompressing Is it because you're spine. burning so much during the week? I think so, yeah. Uh, I mean, walking a golf course is pretty, It's like the opposite of muscle building. Yeah, I mean, it's it'll probably keep your legs in shape, but um, you know, if I actually have a day off or two at some point, I will do some type of uh, workout that resembles something I do with my trainer, but for the most part, uh, I have like daily routines to decompress my joints, my spine, um, and kind of like reset my nervous system as well. So that, that takes up the bulk of my physical activity. How hard is it taking weeks off and what's the value of rest? For me, the value of rest is extremely important. There's, I have a pretty strict rule where if I don't, if I'm not home for one week out of five, um, then I must go home on that sixth week because I start, I don't know if it's like this with other people, but some guys can just go on the road, knock out nine weeks in a row and yeah, just that's their thing and they can do it. Well, I can't like I have four weeks on the road. Once that fifth week comes around, I start to go a little bit crazy. Like I'll start making really bad decisions on the golf course, like get real irritable. Like Bob can't do anything on the bag as a caddy to calm me down. Like, it starts, it starts going a little haywire. And then, you know, if you're playing good, it's great. But you start stringing together like 28 days in a row of playing golf and then traveling and then, you know, grinding and the mental and emotional fatigue. Like it, it gets, uh, it gets pretty taxing. And uh, I've always been one to love time off. Like for me, time off is extremely important. What, what, you just feel like refreshed, right? Yeah. Like I, I just think it's necessary for me. I've always done it uh, in college, like shut it down for a little bit. Um, and I think the importance of getting away from, well, your work is yeah. is extreme. It's 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 necessary for me, and I think it's necessary for a lot of people. So, uh, and that kind of ties back to uh, just your your mental state. Like, you know, I don't want to be have. I don't want to have to think about golf. I know. I, I just want to. I want to be a normal person. I want to get away from golf. I want to disassociate myself from my so career. So, like a week a off bit. is like away. Oh, it's away. It's the clubs aren't coming out. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the beach in Chicago. I'm gonna see people, see the family and friends. Um, if I do play golf, it's gonna be in a cart, and I'm gonna be drinking beer, and uh, that we're gonna be throwing dice afterwards, <laughs> and then uh, probably making some decent decisions after that, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's interesting how people are because like i think i'm that way like if i play too much mm-hmm. i start playing really bad mm-hmm. like i see it even now like if i play for like a week straight like at the end of the week and it's probably just like my legs are gone yeah but like i they're like because i don't play very much like i play on when i travel and that's it but like then i come back two weeks later and i'm way better than I was at the end of the last trip. Yep. And I think in general, when I played a lot, the same thing, like, but then there are people 
that can't take days off. That's right? weird. That's weird to me. I don't understand that at all. I don't either. Oh, it, ugh. I just some people are op, like wired a little bit differently. They operate unlike me, and uh, and I think that's really really respectable because I kind of look at like Sung Jay. What well, Sung Jay? Sung Jay lived in a hotel, didn't he? For yeah, he's the ATL guy now. He's from oh, hanging he, out. He, in, he bought a house. Yeah, and wow. TPC Sugarloaf. He's hanging out at with uh, Stewie. I think he's hanging out at Magic City with Lou Williams. Whoa. That's cool. what I I dream that he's doing. Going down to College Park. Yeah. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be sick. Yeah. <laughs> Bubba Sparks. Nice. That guy. I don't know how he does it. That's uh that's the I'm the opposite of Sungjae. I would rather take time off than play 30 weeks in a row and uh live out of a suitcase. Hey, you got any good Q school stories? Ooh. I do have a couple of good ones. The ones I like to really tell, um, and it's the most recent one from my most rec- recent second stage, was uh, in Mobile, Alabama. I was I was somehow assigned to a site other than Southern Hills, and when I got that email, you couldn't imagine the panic in my head. <laughs> like it's like opening <laughs> it's like opening a letter from your boss saying you've been you've been fired like you're you're losing your job like oh no my whole life's been uprooted i don't know your spot yeah that's my spot like i'm who am i gonna stay with like how am i i can't go there early it's like a public facility it's an rtj track like i'm gonna have to pay greens fees and everything everything was going in circles for a little bit and um i got down there and i was playing some okay golf just kind of scrape it around for a while and i have jj on the bag who cares for ben coles and um we worked together the year before, and uh, um, I was really lucky to have him on the bag that week because uh, we get to the 69th hole, I think, and uh, I'm I'm playing good on the last day. I'm probably five under at this point, and I know what it's going to be like. It's been it's been moving four every day, and there's no wind. The conditions of the golf course haven't changed at all. I know it's going to be four, and I know I'm one shot back, and I got the blocks going. So I absolutely map one into the trees on the 69th hole here. And I'm up near this car path and it's just trees. And there's a little Creek by the green on the left side there. Um, and I'm looking to kind of pitch out there and I look at JJ and he's kind of like looking down the car path where it runs through the trees. And there's kind of like a little feeder slot there short right of the green. And I go, JJ, I'm just going to pitch it out and get it up and down. Oh, with a wedge. That seems like the pragmatic thing to do. He's like, no, nah, bud, we're going through the trees. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh. Uh, let me think about this. And I looked at it. I looked at him. And, you know, he talked me into it. And I pulled off the punch out of my life. It one hopped off the car path down through this collection area and rolled to 30 feet. I two-putted, got out of there with a par somehow. Um, I birdied the next hole, which was a par five, and part of my last two to get in on the number. And... uh that was, I'll never forget that stretch of like 30 or 40 minutes. I remember every shot and it was, it was just frightening and exhilarating at the same time because everything was going right, but you're also on the fringe of just complete disaster. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing too. Cause it's like, it, he talked you out of the smart play, which is, yeah. you know, this is a, it's a great caddy. Get right? up and yeah, get up and down for Parman. But he knew the situation. He read it perfectly. He knew 
he knew me and he had the balls enough to say, no, nah, bud, hit it through those goddamn trees. We're making a Ford easy way and get the hell out of here. <laughs> well, this is, this is kind of like, you know, obviously, like, I think golf's gotten a little bit more um, statistical and everything. And, like, I I think it, when you have common sense, you know how to play golf and, you know, you 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 need to play to middles of greens, avoid getting short-sighted. Like, that's something you learn mm-hmm. how to when you play a lot of golf. But... One of the things is like sometimes when you need to do something, when you need to get it done, like and you see it at ends of majors, like you need to make birdies. Mm -hmm. You have to push it. Yeah, you you do. If you (laughs) need to play, you know, one under the last four holes and you're Mm -hmm. in the trees, Mm -hmm. you need to make something happen. You do. You truly do. And uh, I think it's pretty cool to find yourselves in situations like that. Like you don't want to find yourself in a situation on the other side of the cut line, but I always find it pretty cool to see what you're made of every now and then and um sometimes if you're a procrastinator like me that's you thrive <laughs> when you're when you put yourself on the edge you do <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of finding yourself on the other edge i got one more funny q school little story and this kind of goes back to like you know preparation techniques and putting one foot in front of the other there was a time i was playing final stage out in arizona and uh you know going through a pretty rough stretch of golf so like classic Vince tried to overthink my whole philosophy. Like, you know, we're going to practice hard. We're going to, we're going to stay sober. We're not drinking this week. We're going to really do our drills and, uh, we're going to make this really important to my subconscious. Right. And, uh, it turns out I was nearly in dead last after two rounds (laughs) at, uh, at whirlwind golf course and like the 2018 Q school. Uh, and after that I said, you know what? This clearly isn't working, and I got pissed drunk that night off a bunch of scotch and Mexican food and shot 63 the next day (laughs) and just completely vaulted up the leaderboard and then did the exact same thing that night except just not as violently. And, um, you know, I missed my my card, like, full status by one shot, but, like, I made up 100 spots in two days by drinking. (laughs) Well, I, so, I like, think this is like the thing with golf is you always look at other people's games and you're envious of things that they do. Mm-hmm. You think like, oh, if I could just do that like him or if I could. And then you always think like, I don't know, I'm a self-loather. So I just walk around and tell myself I suck all day. <laughs> but like, you know, that's a, a, an issue. In it works. It works for Curtis Thompson, too. <laughs> but the uh, the reality is like your best golfer is yourself. Like. I always think back. There's uh, there's this venture capitalist uh, Naval. He's invested in like a ton of the you know tech companies that are billion dollar tech companies now. And he had this great podcast. And one of the lines that I'll never forget is authenticity outruns all your competition. So it's like don't try and ever be anybody else. Just, just try to be, be yourself. Just be yourself, and you're going to do well. Yeah. Like nobody else can be you. Mm-hmm. And it's you know if you're really good at golf, like you know. You should just be yourself. And I, you know, we, I did a pod with Luke Donald where he talked about playing with Justin Rose in the final round of the 13 US Open and how he walked away thinking, God, if I could just be hit the ball like Justin Rose, hmm. you know, I would be set. And that's what started the whole mm-hmm. kind of. And meanwhile, like two months earlier, there was quotes from Justin Rose at Wentworth or, or you know, a year earlier, Justin Rose was like, admiring luke donald's consistency you know (laughs) it's just like it's crazy how the game of golf works and it's like don't be somebody else just be yourself yeah exactly like i that to be fair that took me a lot longer to figure out in my career like 
figure out what you're good at, what makes you tick, and how you play your best golf. And that might be grinding till the till dusk, or it might be you know not touching the club after you get off the 18th green. But you got to figure out what makes you tick. And um, I think I finally figured it out. I'm not entirely sure, but there. So there's these other things I'm curious about. Like, how do you go about? fix like getting better at weaknesses because there's this like whole there's a theory in like the world uh, not golf world but just general world like it says like hey i i'm miserable at a lot of things because of my my brain Mm -hmm. like i'm really bad at them and i should just ignore them Mm -hmm. and get better at what i'm good at do you how do you go about getting better at weaknesses in golf like because you don't want to sacrifice what you're really good at Mm mm-hmm or do you not even think about that? You know, like, I've heard of that before, and the more I think about it, the more it, um, the more it just kind of confuses me because I don't address stuff in that regard. Like, if I need stuff to work on, um, like, I'll dabble in it. Like, I'm a big believer of, um, like, incremental change. Like, you're not going to work on stuff so hard where it's going to bleed over into the next week. That's just not how change works. That's not how your brain works. So... What I do if I'm really working on stuff, um, and like specifically this year was it was it was it was putting. Like I made a very conscious effort to um, change the pacing of my stroke, and you know what I had. A was fir- it faster back? Um, it Slower, was faster, and the length of the backstroke was shorter. Okay. Um, for just like shorter putts inside of ten feet, specifically uphill putts that are dead straight. <laughs> So those gave me a trouble for a while. So we kind of came up with a plan like, okay, well, that's because you're kind of like, you're taking a, a backstroke that looks like it should hit at six feet and it's hitting at three feet and you're kind of coming out and you're whiffing putts. So um, we shortened the backstroke a little bit. And the way I went about that is uh, I saw Garrett one day, my uh, my, my putting coach. Garrett Chussard. Garrett Chussard at Skokie, the director of instruction at the esteemed <laughs> Skokie Country Club. Former University of Illinois. Oh, that's great. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You didn't need to remind me of that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we talked about it, and we came up with a plan. I hit some putts under his eye, and then I go, okay, that feels good. So I got what that felt like, and then I developed just like a little bit of a drill system where um, I would do it more or less every day before I went to go play golf if I was playing golf in a tournament or, um, or had like a nine-hole practice round where um, I would pretty much just – have 20 put- putts around a three-foot circle, and um, I would just wait until I saw the shadow of the golf ball uh, and make a conf- conf- concerted effort to make a shorter and more, I guess, to me, quick stroke. And that way I would accomplish the fact of I would stay in the putt longer and, also, and uh, shorten up the stroke a little bit. So just by kind of uh, slowly doing this drill over time it's bled over into uh my putting stroke and i don't even need to think about it anymore but like i didn't i didn't concentrate on it so hard that i sacrificed other so you, practice time so you didn't and you didn't like in in the round you're just hitting putts the way you naturally feel right yeah that see that's interesting because everybody tries to take these like you know i need to do this this and this and take it right to the golf course Versus mm. just swinging naturally or oh, yeah. putting naturally, but doing the drill work 
a certain way so that that becomes the natural. Yeah. Like, um, like if I ever go hit golf balls on the range, I am, I'm doing drills. Like I'm doing, I, I want feels, um, I'm trying to make mechanical change. And then once I get to the golf course, it's all gone. Like I'm trying to hit shots and like, granted, I haven't been doing a very good job of that. When I go on the golf course these days, I'm thinking so much and I'm playing terrible. I'm shooting two over par at Glen Flora. I'm just like, what are you doing out here? But when I do want to make change, um, I'm not, I'm not like overhauling and I'm not, you know, rewriting the book. Although there's like some type of urgency and some people feel the need to like, we need to just completely reinvent the wheel here. Like we need to drop anchor and just sit on this for hours. In my opinion, you need to do the opposite. Yeah. You just kind of need to get your toes wet. Then you kind of get down to the kiddie pool area. And then slowly at some point you'll find yourself in adult swim with all the cool kids. You know, it's like the most minute game because like, even when you're overhauling your swing, Mm -hmm. You feel like you're making this huge change, but you're moving like millimeters. Not even. Sometimes you're going backwards. (laughs) And then it's like, then you have these grand overreactions. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're like, I did it. (laughs) Like, no, you didn't. It looked the exact same. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's like the funniest thing. It's like the best. It's like just basically like it's it's the most emotional game. Mm -hmm. And it's like the if you just don't allow yourself to get it, it all goes back to like just staying in the moment, not freaking out. Yeah. It don't, don't make things a bigger, Being bigger deal than not. Yeah. Be super dumb. Exactly. <laughs> don't be smart. There's only a few people I've ever met where they excelled at golf because they're very intelligent. Who? Um, Maverick McNeely is a very bright young man. Uh, I think Max Grazerman is very smart as well, but he's got like a little bit of a quirky side to him and, um, and uh, but he established himself as a very intelligent young man. Um, and um, one of my good buddies, Evan Harmeling, who is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my entire life, uh, absorbs anything like a sponge, is very well spoken and articulate. But the, and the awesome thing about his is him is he knows how to dumb it down, like he knows that you know, being too smart is dis disadvantageous yeah. is yeah is not good for his game <laughs> and he knows how to separate himself from golf every now and then and i find that very awesome because he could go the other way he's like i'm literally the smartest person on the corn Ferry tour because he is but uh he knows that won't get him any farther than where he is right now so he uses that to his own advantage he's like i know i know me i know what makes me tick and uh He's uh he's gotten a lot better and I'm really proud of him. Hey, dumbing it down. Like if you think too much, I, I used to sing comfortably numb to myself before I hit shots because I wanted to get really relaxed. Yeah. And that's th- all I thought about was singing that song. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. It's like, you don't think about anything else. Like <laughs> there's not a lot that can go wrong. No, I agree completely. Speaking of other players, like uh, of the guys that graduated this year, I know this is probably hard to pick, uh, you know, if you were gonna, if it was a stock market, who would you buy shares in? On the PGA Tour of of the guys that went up, Chad Ramey, hundred percent rookie so of the year. Consistent. Yeah, and I got to hang out with Chad just a little bit here and there. We went floating down the Boise River, and uh, he's just a cool customer. Like nothing bothers him. He's got a great head on his shoulders, um, and uh, clearly his golf game is very good. And uh, I just, 
I think it'll just take a little bit of time for him to maybe get acclimated, but he is he's extremely good. He's super consistent. His short game is uh, superb, and uh, yeah, I think he's got all the tools necessary. So from this class, I think, you know, if we were hypothetically betting on, you know, the tour, although I just took my integrity program. So yeah, I, brought, I know. You got the, yeah. I, that's why I said shares. I didn't say betting. Yeah. Oh, if there shucks. was a hypothetical, I knew about the integrity program. I didn't want to jeopardize you. Oh, God. I'm going to get an email from Andy Pazder here shortly, aren't I? <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. <laughs> I just like Chad's game a lot. It's it's really good. It's it's very well-rounded. Um and um he's an iron man too he played like everything right yeah that's the incredible part too like he just happened to top 20 literally 15 straight events like it was it was just remarkable. he never played bad which what, i think it's a thing a pretty is a pretty good indicator of future success with that super season did you feel like having it be so long was easier or was it frustrating that it was so long that people weren't going up and then like it was hard to catch up you know, if you were in a hole, like, or was it nice that you knew that there was such a long season that it was, you know, hey, I can play bad for eight weeks and I know that it's fine. You know, I kind of found myself in an awkward spot because I was, um, I was like 44th after the first half of the season, which was the 2020 year. And, um, you know, I, I didn't get my card at all. I wasn't going up or down, but like, like, okay, I'm in a pretty good spot. But, like, also at the same time, you know, I couldn't just go in and coast throughout yeah. the year. And back to what we were talking about, like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm very far inside the cut line here. And 75. Like, yeah, inside the 75 cut line. But, like, all I really need is, like, a couple of top tens. And then, like, I came out of the gates playing pretty poorly um, in the first half of the year. Like, we went to Florida, played poorly. Went to Savannah, played poorly. I'm like, okay, well... At some point, it's going to turn around, and um, for me, it worked out. I, I do like an off season because I like to address some weaknesses, uh, and it gives me some time to just decompress, get into the gym again, and I, I just have a lot of work to do on my body before I I can really compete on the PGA Tour. I, I like I need I need a solid ten pounds at least. I need to get to one sixty five, <laughs> otherwise I just don't stand a chance. I truly do. What, what a nice problem to have. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not for everybody. <laughs> I just hope, I, I mean, I think I finally hit puberty. And at some point, my metabolism is going to slow down. And I'll be able to just not even think about gaining weight. And it'll just go straight to my, I wouldn't mind a tire around my belt as well. I would take that silhouette you were talking about, like the, the soft torso and the, and the fat waist. Yeah. Right? I would take that in a heartbeat. Husky boy. Husky boy, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, what you're on the pack. What do you guys do on the pack for the corn ferry? Everybody knows about the pack for the for the PGA tour, but like, I imagine like the pack, the people graduate, people get demoted. You know, mm-hmm. you're actually in the real relegation yeah. part of the tour. <laughs> well, the funny thing about us is we don't really have a say in a whole lot. It's just I think there's a pack on the corn ferry just to say there's some type of pack. Like, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of judgments being made. This year, there was nothing to talk about. The, the bulk of our decision-making was done last year in 2020 when we were discussing the whole PGA Tour University system. Um, like, I think that's a good system. I think it's wonderful. I, and I shouldn't like it because I would have gotten starts uh, when I was in college and I was coming out. So like, 
I'm a little bitter that it wasn't thought of earlier, but I think it's a great avenue. And I think it's, I think it's perfect because we can't be missing on these kids coming out of college. Like, you know, there's a lot of good talent coming from universities these days. And, uh, they should have access to our tour because it helps, uh, it helps build our tour. And like that, it gets eyeballs on the screen. Like these can't miss kids. Well, what are they going to do? Try to Monday qualify or get sponsors exemptions. And then, well, I imagine that's like an awkward thing when you turn pro. It's like you, 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 what do you do? Yeah. Okay. I turned pro. Great. Yeah. (laughs) What's next? (laughs) State opens. Yeah. Monday qualifiers. Dakota's tour. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful Avenue. And, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I played with one of the kids from Arizona State. And Kevin Yu, right? Kevin Yu. That He's guy good. is extremely talented. <laughs> well, that was the thing. I remember, I, you know, I'll leave the guy out of it, but one of your uh, cohorts on there talked about Deuce Bang. And it's like the kids came out and, like, oh, literally, like, <laughs> showed out right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. How could you hate the kids? Because they, I mean, they came out swinging. Like, <laughs> yeah, they were, like, top fives, like, every week. They're literally ready. Like, one guy couldn't get out of the final group for, like, two straight weeks. Kevin couldn't. Like, yeah. So, I, I don't know. The, it's a weird meritocracy that we're operating in, but... um I think it's certainly warranted. Those kids are definitely good enough, and um, I'm just mad that it wasn't there when I was in school because I think I would have got a start. Or I might have got, like, Latin American status, but that would have definitely beat what I had going on for my first summer, you know? Kind of a bummer with the Latin American Canada. That sucks. I'm, I am I saw that. I'm like, I saw the email. I'm like, uh-oh. I have a feeling I know what this is about, but I don't want to open it and have my heart sink. And then I read the first line. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, I know friends who moved to Ponte Vedra to, just for that purpose, to use the facilities there. And um, They signed leases. Yeah, so, like, they it, uprooted their entire lives just to go practice at Sawgrass. And like, they're get, like, they've gotten better. Like, they're great players. It, it, in case anybody missed it, the, the tour, because of basically the way it's worded, the popularity of golf, you know, anybody in Scottsdale... Uh, Ponte Vedra or Vegas, the three most popular places for, you know, developing tour players to go lost their practice privileges at the TPC courses, which, which is a huge, I mean, that stinks. They should be at least able to like pay a small fee. Yeah. It makes me really mad there. It's, it's, I've, I've been really lucky and I've had uh, places to go throughout my career where I've never been asked to pay a, a number any type of greens fee, membership fee, like that would have been a huge barrier to my success. I'm not even sure if I would be where I am if I didn't have help like that along the way. Yeah. You don't have like a huge financial backing. No, I guess it's, it's just, it just blows my mind. And, and even those guys on the, on those international tours, it's, it's gotta be even tougher than what we're doing on the corn ferry tour to make ends meet. Like you can't, I just don't know if you can afford whatever they ask for a membership at clubs in Jacksonville or, or Scottsdale. Like that doesn't exist. Yeah. I think the Jupiter Jupiter's got a few that are affordable, but at the same time, like the problem is these kids buy, you know, get an apartment, sign a lease. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can't. So then you get stuck at a public course and, Mm -hmm. you know, no offense, but like, it's not the facility to get better. It's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't understand. Like you're in the umbrella, like you're in the brotherhood. Like you have status on these tours, but you don't get the benefits. It's like it's and it's and so you get selective. The, the and least stupid. amount of benefits because you don't 
actually make any money when you play well. No, you don't. Yeah, you like barely pay your bills on those tours. Not even. Sometimes you don't even pay your bills. Yeah. Uh, it's, there's always the golf adage of play better. But, oh, you know, like the my my issue is like if that if if you're going to say that, then there should be true relegation from the PGA Tour. Which yeah. there isn't. Yeah. I would agree completely. Yeah. So, um, right, last uh, last question I got to ask. You mm-hmm. know, how, how, how's the uh, how's the Ponte Vedra cafeteria, the PGA Tour cafeteria? I hear it's... <laughs> you, there's there's frustration from tour employees sometimes because you know the, the players are taking hogging all the spots. <laughs> it's pretty wonderful. It's probably everything you imagined, even better. <laughs> it's cheap too, right? It's yeah. It doesn't even make sense how cheap it is. Actually, it's what's well, a nonprofit. Oh well, that makes sense. Well, duh. <laughs> when I think of that, <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's it's. I mean, you have every type of meal option and you know i think thursdays are like ahi tuna thursdays and it's, you got plant-based you got paleo and you know keto you got you got everything you could possibly imagine and then we haven't got to the smoothie bar yet either that's what i'm most interested in like there's yeah the smoothie and juice bar even like the little like the little snacks that the chef makes too are just out of this world perks perks to work and yeah perks of being a member yeah Yeah. you can come to the cafeteria but you can't hit balls on our range Uh, they're still allowed in the cafeteria i think so yeah they haven't (laughs) they haven't made a statement (laughs) about latin american and canada members not coming to eat Uh, they've had it the worst the last couple years because they had their tour just canceled exactly yeah (laughs) no movement at all that's uh all right well, Vince, it's uh, it's been fun, and uh, well, you got a couple couple months till till you got you're in bulk season. <laughs> I'm in bulking season. I'm in scramble season. More importantly, <laughs> oh yeah, you got the Chicago Land scramble. Yeah, Chicago Land scramble. Who's, who's on your team? Well, not necessarily on the Chicago Land scramble, but uh, national. It's uh, it's just scramble season in general. Like Iowa City, we played one for the alumni event last Friday, and uh, at at uh, my alma mater and um it seems like every saturday wherever i go we somehow play an emergency night scramble i feel like i'm a bad scramble player i'm a horrible scramble player (laughs) it's really it's not i feel like it's a it's a format that rewards volatility yeah all i do is fat sided to 30 feet and two putt (laughs) yeah like that's not what you want in a scramble (laughs) you don't want somebody that makes a lot of pars no that's literally (laughs) my job (laughs) So no one call me for a scramble team unless it's four pros. You need one more pro. But yeah, if you're an amateur looking for a pro, I'm not your guy. Are you uh, you excited about the Hawkeyes? I am. I'm also cautiously optimistic. You're, you're ready to get hurt. Oh yeah, like an enormous letdown <laughs> at the hands of Purdue this weekend at two thirty in Iowa City. Well, well, this will probably air on Monday, so people will know whether you're let down or not by then. Oh so. gosh. I'm already I'm mentally prepared for a letdown, but I just hope it doesn't come just yet. <laughs> All right. We will uh we'll talk to you soon and uh good luck next year. Thanks, Andy. Good being with you. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. As a quick reminder, 
We have a three-day-a-week newsletter. It's written by Will Knights. It's a uh, wonderful companion to your golf viewing, whether you're a regular watcher or irregular watcher. It takes two two to four minutes to read about, roughly, uh, in the morning. And it's a easy way to stay up to date and have stuff to talk about with your golf friends. So subscribe to that at thefrydag.com. And it's just right there. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for listening to another episode of our podcast.